You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. So glad to see everybody here. And also I want to welcome everybody by live stream. All right. What do you tell yourself after a year like this? So my title this morning is A Year Like This. What do you tell yourself after a year like this? About six years ago, a friend of mine asked me, Robin, if you could actually do it, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? He said to me, you've lived over 60 years. You've raised a family. You've been involved in ministry with all its challenges. You've lived... You've survived through numerous seasons, problems of life. You've accumulated some wisdom, hopefully. What would you say to your 20-year-old self? Well, this morning, all that conversation stimulated something in me because I'm not going to talk about what I tell my 20-year-old self. I've done that before. I'll likely do it again. But this morning, I'm looking back at 2020 and wondering, what do I tell myself after such a year? How many would you like to hear this? What do I tell myself after this kind of year? Because all of us know the year's been hard. Um, I'm tired of all the descriptive words of what happened this year. How, how about you? You know, they should outlaw them. They should never be used, at least for 20 years more. But it has been confusing and disorienting, in some ways depressing, to many, maybe a season of loss. You may have even felt despair or hopelessness. I hope you didn't, but you could have. It had been easy to do. So what do I have to say about it, and how do we move forward beyond it into 2021? Because that's where we are. So here's what I do. I personally go to the Scriptures. And the reason I go to the Scriptures we find in Romans 15:4. if you turn to that, look at that, find that, or um, it reads this way. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So that's a very good um, answer for why we have the Scriptures, that they were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now what that means is, the Bible is at least a compilation of the history of people who have gone through life with or without God. And both of those kind of lives are described in there. And so Paul says it was written for us. And that if we will look at it, if we'll listen to it, through patience, we will get patience and comfort from it, which results in hope, that we might have hope. Now, they use the word might unlike the way you, you, we use might. Are you going to lunch after church? I might. No, it doesn't mean that kind of might. It means that you, it, it means more like through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, you shall have hope. And there's a wonderful and intriguing thing to me about the Bible. A, a number of occasions I would really feel like I needed something from the Lord, and I would read my Bible, certain sections of it, more than others because I'm looking for certain things. 
And to be honest with you, after I got through reading that Bible, immediately after it, I felt nothing. But I would realize through the day what I had read would begin to energize me. It just wasn't instant because, you know, if it was instant, who wouldn't do it? Really, if it was instant, who wouldn't do it? But it's accumulation of reading, believing, and absorbing because something legitimate happens between a believing heart, a receptive heart, and the receptivity of the word. It really is. Really something happens. I have learned that over the years. So what I do is I consider different people in the scripture. I glean from their lives how they overcame difficult circumstances like Jeremiah the prophet. What's Jeremiah known as? The weeping prophet. Not the guy I want to model my ministry after. But Jeremiah went through some extraordinarily difficult things and the Bible tells us corrections, encouragements, and conclusions he made about how to navigate those kinds of situations. He was unpopular. How many of you like to be unpopular? Honest to goodness, I don't know anybody that likes to be dismissed. Do you? Most of us actually could never be happy if somebody didn't like us. That's the way it works. It shouldn't work that way. The truth of it is, if we really knew the Lord the right way, it wouldn't matter what anybody thought about us. That's a high calling. It's not easily attained to because a lot of us are affected by criticism. He was resisted by almost everyone because of his words. He was imprisoned by his enemies and his countrymen, and sometimes that was the same person. And he suffered the destruction of Jerusalem. He was exiled to Egypt where he died. Yet God had called him to walk through all of that. So Jeremiah's life was difficult. Let me give you, let me give you a for instance. In Jeremiah 38, 6, it says this. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Mount Kijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. Now, in this case, the cistern was like a well, but this one wasn't a very good well. So what they did was they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern, the Bible says there was no water but only mud, and Jeremiah sank into the mud. So they imprisoned him in the bottom of sort of a defective well who only had mud in the bottom, and there he sat. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So let's look at Lamentations three nineteen through 26 because the book of Lamentations, called the Lamentations of Jeremiah, Lamentation, I believe, means to complain or to express grief. And so he expressed some of this. So let's read verse 9 together. Oh, that should be 19. Well, it is on my page. I think they got it right. Is there a 19 up there, verse 19? All in favor of it being up there, say aye. Aye. Okay, I know you're still alive. 
Let's read this together. It begins with the word remember, and when you read it together and you read it out loud, sound comes out of your mouth. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me, 19 and 20. So that's Jeremiah's honest, honest condition. But then he writes in verse 21, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Read this with me. Let's say that. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope through the Lord's mercies. We are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. And then he gets touched and he goes, great is your faithfulness. And then it's like that hope really is rising because now he's actually just exclaiming. Verse 24, let's read that. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So what you see in Jeremiah's life, he's not saying his problems do not exist, but you don't have to deny your condition even or your problems to begin to move out of them in a realistic, honest way. You don't have to say you don't feel bad. You know, you can... Here's an interesting thing. It says that faith calls those things that are not as though they were. So let's say you're sick. Faith does, and you believe God, and God touches you, and you're believing God. According to what I just said, faith doesn't say I'm not sick. That's calling those things that are as though they are not. But you can say I'm well. Are you listening to me? Yeah. And that's clearly what the Bible says. It calls those things that are not. What are you not? I am not well as though you are. So you're not denying your condition, but you're reaching into the promise of a a change of your condition. So anyway, when the prophet remembers his affliction and it troubles his soul, that's in verse 22. No, I'm sorry. That's in verse um, verse 19. When I remember my affliction and roaming, my soul remembers and sinks within me. So when he remembers his affliction and his troubles, his soul sank. And when you're talking about soul sinking, you're at least including your emotional condition, okay? Yeah. So to me, joy isn't any good unless it makes me feel better, right? So what Jeremiah did to recover hope in difficult circumstances, I'm talking about maybe sitting in the mud circumstances, And you got to remember Paul's 
most encouraging letters, several of them were written while he was in prison. And so these people, they're telling us there is a way to handle years like we've had, emotions like we've had, things we've felt in a straightforward and honest way to where you can live in an overcoming way, but you have to grow into it. It's not just just automatic. And there can be some battle involved. There really can be. So what did Jeremiah do to recover hope in difficult circumstances? Well, it says when he recalled the goodness of God, his hope returned. So I want to read these again. This is verse 21. This I recall to mind. So if you look in verse 19, when he remembered his affliction, his soul sank. When he recalled to his mind that through the Lord's mercies were not consumed because his compassions don't fail because they're new every morning, and he began to proclaim the great faithfulness of God. And when he began to say, no matter what goes on, my portion is God himself, and he is, has everything I need. Therefore, I hope in him. So it came down to what he was going to remember the most. It came down to what he was going to focus on, what he was going to remember the most. Yes, the Lord is good to all those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It's good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, he says. So when he remembered his troubles, he sank. But when he recalled the Lord's mercies and his unfailing compassions, that do not fail. Hope sprang up in his heart and he began to soar. I think you can almost hear it in those words. He just like blurts out great. What did he say? Not great is his faithfulness. He, he went right to the Lord. You see the difference? He wasn't just telling us something. He was telling himself something. He was recovering something about the goodness of God that began to change how he felt. Focus. What you feed on, what you meditate on. Your heartaches doesn't mean they're not real, but what do you focus on? Or your blessings, your God-wrought victories. And I'm going to tell you something. If you get beat up too much in your mind, you're going to have to sit down and intentionally think back to times God did things for you, kept you, or delivered you, or the blessings that he's given you. We've talked a while back about, um, what's the name of that? It's Ann Voskamp, a thousand gifts. Is that the name of that book? Yes. And, and her whole way she turned her life around was she began to enumerate things to be thankful for, looking for things to be thankful for. You know, the Bible says, seeking you shall find, right? What if that's absolute? It just depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for misery, you're going to find some. But if you're looking for the goodness of God, you're going to find some. And it doesn't negate what actually has happened to us, but God is trying to give us some solutions. 
So there's another component of being hopeful, and it's expressing hope-filled truths. It's saying them out loud that makes a huge difference. When you complain, do you complain out loud, most people? Does it do you any good? No. Well, here's what I think about complaining. I think there's a legitimacy to a certain amount of complaining because you're processing, you're figuring out for yourself what's going on. I think the problem is we complain to each other, maybe not complain to the Lord. And there's a legitimacy to that. I mean, the the Psalms are full of that. But there's something about processing that complaint to a point where you realize it's not helping anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then you discover more about the faithfulness of God. Then maybe you have something to say like Jeremiah did when he blurted out, great is your faithfulness. Or through the Lord's mercies were not consumed because his compassions fail not. I like that. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is my portion. What does that mean? The Lord is my portion. The Lord is what I have. So, we don't deny, I mean, Jeremiah was sitting in the mud. Jeremiah had been imprisoned another time, it said, for many days. He had been hauled off to Egypt. And he saw judgments that were coming against the nation, and he proclaimed them, and it made him unpopular. But he had a way to get out of that sense of despair. Jeremiah said it was good to wait on the Lord. That was Isaiah's secret as well. Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31. Have you not known? So he's asking a question. Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Verse 29, he gives power to the weak. Say that with me. He gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But I need to hear this. Who needs to hear this? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Do you know how much flapping an eagle does? Not much. What they do is they learn how to capture the current. See, we need to learn how to capture the current of God. You know, and not just be flapping all around, right? They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So Israel had passed through a long history with Jehovah God presiding over them and ruling within them to a degree. And Isaiah was saying he hadn't lost his power. He hasn't left his people to themselves. He knows they're going to grow weary. But what he's saying is he can redeem us. He can release to us 
strength. He can release to us power. He gives power to who? To the weak. He gives strength. Did he increase the strength to those who, who have no might? And that's what the Lord wants to do. He says, everybody that trusts their own strength will tire out. How many of you are tired? How many of you are tired through the last period of time? Well, that's what happens. And, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and, and it's going to sound a little strange, but this has been a good year if we have gotten tired and learned how to lean on the Lord more. Come on. What a privilege. Listen, nobody trusts the Lord when they don't have to. Come on, they don't. Man, I could trust the Lord like a madman until the problem came up. I could tell you how to do it. I could preach about it. I could even write books about it. But that's not the same thing as realizing to really trust him, there have to be reasons. There have to be things there. And sometimes we're brought to these places. We didn't volunteer to come, but hey, here we are. What are we going to do? Are we going to excel? Are we going to advance? What is it? Jordan Peterson says this. There's no bottom. There's no bottom to your misery. There's no bottom to it. Meaning, and his idea is, you need to make steps to improve yourself each day. Each day. You need to advance each day because there's no bottom to how far down you can go if you don't take responsibility for your own life. And one of the ways you can take responsibility for your life is to begin to develop a history with God to understand what he's like, to begin to express some faith, to realize there are times you're going to have to trust him because nothing makes sense or things didn't go the way you expected or you even got disappointed and you're laying that disappointment at his feet. However you process it, I don't know. But to know him well, you have to go through some reasons why your natural resources aren't enough. That's how... A real strong believer is made, and it might not be that fun. But what if your life isn't about you? What if your life is about somebody else that's going to need someone like you who has successfully gone through problems because they didn't develop the same resilience and faith and processes that you have? And yet God wants you to help them, give them what you have. What if your life is not about you? What if God is calling us to live for someone else, for other people? So waiting on the Lord, how do you do it? Well, we might look at that in a minute. But it does mean this, to trust him, to rely on him, to hope in him. Actually, the, 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 um, the word wait can actually mean hope. Those that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. And it can also mean to wait on the Lord to bind together by twisting, meaning like a vine would twist around a stake or something. The way vines climb, they twist towards the light. 
And there's something about us involving ourselves in God's life. Psalm 130, verse 4, But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, an exhortation, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with him, there's not just redemption, there's abundant redemption. So there's a relationship between your consuming his word and your experience, if you've understood it right, of being built up with hope. Hope can come from waiting on the Lord, centering on his word. And here's some of Paul's hope-filled words, which are true as well. I love this, Romans 8, 28. Who can quote it? And we know. What's Paul's first assumption about this is that we know it. A man told me, Robin, if you're going to preach good, tell people what you know, not what you think. The curse is a difference. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So there's some caveats there. Do you love him? Maybe not perfectly, but he didn't say love him. Per- do you love him? Are you doing what you think he wants you to do. Well, then everything in your life will work together for good. And if it's not good yet, it's not over yet. If you haven't seen good yet, don't come to a premature conclusion about either yourself and who you are or the Lord. If it's not good yet, it's not over yet. I'm, I'm getting encouraged. But you know, I'm going to read you some scriptures. I bet I've preached on these scriptures 10 times in the last 10 years maybe because I've needed them. Some verses in the Bible are like lifelines to me because of my character or my makeup or the way I think or how my mind works or or um, uh, how depression or hopelessness or despair or something try, try to work on me. Why do you think I wrote that book, Harbinger of Hope? It's because I have needed hope. And I don't mean before I met the Lord. I mean all along the way. And see, part of the Christian life is just an ongoing developmental process of, of realizing to a certain degree yesterday's devotion doesn't cover today's problems. Today's devotion, it's for today's problems. You understand what I'm saying? We stay current. But Jeremiah himself also had to make adjustments. The Lord would not let him off the hook when he got off in his mind. And so this next overhead is out of Jeremiah 15. And if there were ever any verses of Scripture you got from me that you'd remember when I'm long gone, whenever that is, in 140 years, it ought to be Jeremiah 15, 17 through 21, in the Amplified Translation, and here's what it says. First of all, Jeremiah begins to tell the Lord what an awesome person he himself is. He said, 
I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. Then he says this, why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? How many of you ask those kind of questions about some things? But then Jeremiah takes it a step farther. He says to the Lord, will you surely be to me like an un?" reliable stream as waters that fail. Do you understand what Jeremiah is saying to the Lord? He's saying, I can't rely on you. You're like those streams that dry up in the summertime. You're like waters that fail when I'm thirsty. Now, this is one of the greatest prophets in the, in the entire Bible. And he's having this issue with the Lord. How many of you felt that way? How many of you have been through something like that? I have. I've, I've said some horrible things to the Lord over his refusal to obey me. <laughs> I accidentally told the truth while I was preaching this morning. Well, you could say that Jeremiah felt sorry for himself, couldn't you? But the Lord knows this, and I found this out. Self-pity never ends well. It does not take you to a good place, and it's toxic. And I will tell you what an unreliable stream is, and I will tell you what waters are, that fail are. It's that group of people that want to listen to your self-pity. That's what's going to dry up. Come on. They will only sympathize with you long, a list of while. So there's Jeremiah, and so the Lord begins to address Jeremiah's despair, and this to me has helped me so much over the years. Verse 19, can you see it on the screen there? Therefore, thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, if you return, what does it mean to return? Give up this, read that with me, mistaken tone of distrust and despair. Now, think about who the Lord is saying this to. He's saying this to Jeremiah, the guy that wrote the book of Lamentations, the guy that got dropped in the mud, the guy that got put in prison by his kinsmen, the guy that got shipped out of the town, the guy that saw Jerusalem, which he was sort of prophetically responsible for, be destroyed. And yet the Lord could say to him, because God is this good and he does not want us living lives of hopelessness and despair, even though our circumstances aren't what we would want, he would say, if you would give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair, then I will do what? What does it say? Give you again a settled place of quiet and safety. What precedes the settled place of quiet and safety? Giving up your mistaken tone. You're wrong. You have every right, you think, to be hopeless and in despair. But the Lord says, no, you don't. You're mistaken. You don't see accurately. I can't know how to read this any other way. I'm not telling you what I think is right. I'm telling you what I think the Lord thinks is right. And he is giving us a way out. Can you admit when you're in despair that you're wrong about the reasons that you're there? Give that up. 
Wow. Come on. And you will be my minister. Yeah, the Lord doesn't want hopeless preachers for goodness sake. He says more about that. And if you separate the precious from the vile, what could that be? Cleansing, read that with me. Cleansing your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness. What will God make you? You should be my mouthpiece. And then he goes on to tell him a number of other things. Man, it's hard to admit we're wrong. We feel like we have a right to, to, to be in despair sometimes when the Lord's saying, wait a minute, there's a way out here. But Jeremiah was wrong about some things that brought him to that place. His overall perspective, his conclusion, his tone. His tone. See, that word tone strikes me. There are certain, if you can hear that, there are certain demonic impositions that will try to come to you by tone. Are you listening to me? By tone. They will slip up on you and try to convince you that that's you. I know what I'm talking about. And you'll try to figure out, why do I feel this way instead of telling that thing to leave? What have I done wrong to get into this mess instead of telling that thing to leave? Instead of disagreeing with a tone of despair or hopelessness. That's what I do for years. I try to figure out. I try to fix myself. When sometimes I needed to take a stand. You gotta, sometimes you've got to kick the rooster, ladies and gentlemen. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but when my daddy was a little boy, and if you got went to his home place, he's seven miles down a dirt road to this day where he grew up. And they had 400 acres, and his daddy was a doctor and a farmer, and he had this nasty rooster in the barnyard. When my daddy's about five years old, he came in the house and said, Daddy, that rooster won't leave me alone. He chased me around the barnyard. And his daddy, my granddaddy, said, well, you got to do something about that son or that rooster's going to keep chasing you. Well, what should I do? Well, you got to take care of him. So he went and put on his brogans. Who knows what brogans are? Oh, farmer boots. And he went out in the barnyard, and that rooster came charging at him from the barn. And my little five-year-old daddy went charging at that rooster. And when he got to that rooster, and don't, Tell me I don't like animals, please. This happened 75 years ago. He kicked that rooster as hard as he could, and that rooster tumbled backwards over and over and over until he hit the barn, and that was the last problem he had with that rooster. And some of you people, me included, I've had to do it this week, need to talk what ails you instead of trying to figure out why you're ailing. I really have preached that before and had people come up and jump me about being mean to animals. And I thought, well, it wasn't even me. (laughs) 
I would like to tell you about David, but I don't know that I have time. Has everybody got, who doesn't have 10 more minutes? Anybody not? Have, and be, you can be honest with me if you don't. He's got 20. So you got your 10 and somebody else's 10. Well, another character in the Bible is David. Great adversity. Now, to tell the story, David had this victory before he became king. He was on the way to being a king. And he found himself in a place called Ziklag. That was where he was home basing, and he left that place to do battle. And when he came back, the whole place was burned with fire. All their possessions and all their loved ones had been taken captive. And so when they came back and discovered that, that everything precious to them had either been destroyed or stolen, they began to weep until they couldn't weep anymore. How many of you ever done that? Weep till there's nothing left. Yeah, that can happen. Well, that was David's condition. And it says David's two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail, had been taken captive. So David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. Now, that's a bad spot to be in, right? People were so grieved they wanted to kill him. But David did two things. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then David did a second thing. Verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him and said, pursue. Somebody say pursue with me this morning. Pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. I believe that's what the Lord's saying to all of us this morning about this past year. Anything we lost, we're going to recover. Anything we lost, we're going to get back. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Now, interesting, in the, in the Bible text, a lot of times the proper names and the um, names of cities and regions contain insights or messages. And Ziklag means measure pressed down, and David was pressed down. And his two wives' names are very interesting. Abigail means the father's joy, and Ahinoam means sweetness or delight. And so when David's enemy stole his two wives, it gives us a picture of what our enemy wants to steal from us. He wants our joy, which is our strength. He wants our sweetness or our delight or that feeling of wonder. How many of you want that returned? That joy of the Lord, which is our strength, that sense of delight, that sense of wonder, that sense of sweetness. That's what the Lord wants to give back to us even after this year. So we're asking for that, Lord. And we want to recover every single thing we've lost. And one of David's keys, those two keys, he could encourage himself and the Lord, number one. And seven times in the Bible when David was in a mess, the Bible says, and David 
inquired of the Lord. He went to the Lord and asked him a question and expected an answer. So David recovered everything. I thought this way. Donna and I were talking over the weekend. If this year brings us to our knees, last year, if 2020 shook us to the core, if it uncovered all our doubts and fears and inadequacies, and from that we turned or returned to the Lord with all our hearts, then it was a good year. It was a good year. What you think makes a huge difference. What you conclude about things makes a huge difference. And when you conclude the wrong thing, you become despairing and hopeless. That's an indicator that you, your thinking is just inaccurate. So there, there have been positives from this year. I believe if we really looked, we would see God has proven himself faithful to us. Who could say that? I can say that. I've been married for 45 years. I have spent more time with my wife in the last 10 months than I may have spent in the last 45 years, some total. That's probably not right, but I'm telling you, we have spent a lot of time together, and we have enjoyed that. I don't think she got mad at me more than about 14 times. Not really. Not hardly. We've grown closer. We, we, we didn't um, know we needed to be closer. Families have drawn together. It's been hard, but it's been glorious. Can you say that? It's been hard, but it's been glorious. Well, that's the way glorious things come is through something hard. Man, I'm going to drink some of this. That's how they happen. You don't buy them at the five and dime. You go through something. You, you endure. You fight for something better. If you get knocked down, get up. If you can't get up, get somebody that'll get you up. Tell you, lie to yourself, do something. Don't lie to yourself, but you know, talk your way out of it. Do something. Families said that, drawn together. I have watched families supporting other families financially. I've seen them supporting one another spiritually and relationally. I've watched that. We've had babies born. I know of at least four. Not without complication. Matter of fact, we had a set of twins. The Hartzler had a set of twin boys. They had to go up to uh, Walter Reed Hospital and have... She had an operation with the boys in the womb. And if the operation, which was not an easy one, was not successful, they would certainly have lost one child, maybe could have lost two of them. But instead, miracle happened. She has got two she got twin boys that are healthy, and they're coming home from the hospital. I think they either just did or they will this next week maybe. We dialed down and we rested. I read more books. I think I read 25 books. I should be smart. And we revalued our faith. Who knows what I'm talking about? 
we put another accurate value on it. Can you put back up on the screen that um, Lamentations chapter 3? I want us to... I want us to read this out loud together, verse 21. Why don't we stand up? I want us to read 21 through 26 together. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. What's your soul say? Something. Oh my. Or the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It's good that one should hope. And wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Listen, make a list of everything you have to be thankful for. All your past victories, all your blessings, everything the Lord has provided. Encourage yourself in the Lord. How? Be thankful from small to large. List those blessings the Lord has done for you. And agree with his promises out loud. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I like Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ. Christ! Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. I don't understand it. I'm dead. He's alive. I can't figure it out. I've only done this 50 years. I don't get it, but I'm just saying what he said, and I know it to be true. But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by the faith in or the faith of, both are good, the Son of God who does what? Who loved me and gave himself For me, amen, amen. Happy 2021. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.